glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Second Chronicles chapter 20, stand to honor the reading of God's Word, verses 14 through 30. Now we're cutting in, we just say this before we start reading, we're cutting in on this text. They are already the people of God under Jehoshaphat. They're being attacked by the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, and they've come up out. They've they've come to to uh, attack Jerusalem under Jehoshaphat's reign, and they've already prayed. So they've already prayed and asked God to help them. Verse fourteen. Then upon Jehaziel the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation, and he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves... Stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed down about his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And that, uh, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked into the multitude, under the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped all for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Berechah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the same place was called the Valley of Berechah unto this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries. When they had heard that the Lord fought, when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. Thank you. you. May be seated. Last week, we looked all the way down to, I believe, verse 19, and just focused on the way that these folks prayed 
when they were in distress. And I'll say this again. I believe difficulty, conflict is where we have our opportunity to see the Lord prove himself faithful. If we're not careful, we we almost put God on trial uh, when we say, well, I'm going to trust the Lord and see how this turns out. And undoubtedly, do pay attention to how God answers prayer. Uh, but again, I, I, I sense the Lord bringing this again and again to our attention. That when it comes to thanking and praising the Lord, that aspect of our tongue is not to be determined by the circumstances of our life. Once again, what God expects of us is not according to our natural disposition, is it? It is natural to be thankful. It is natural to praise someone when they do something or behave in a way that is enjoyable or that is helpful. Uh, But in so many instances you find thanksgiving and praise is to be based upon principle, not on emotion, not on circumstances, but on the truth of God and who He is according to His Word. And we see that in this again tonight. We'll give you three things once again tonight on the subject of praise. And we use this text because of the verse we find in verse 22. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon. Now, someone might take this and say, what you need to do when you have trouble is just start singing and praising. Meaning, you force yourself. Force yourself to sing a song. Force yourself to say, praise God. Maybe repeat these words five times in a row. Praise be to God whose mercy endureth forever. Praise be to God whose mercy endureth forever. That's not what he's talking about. It's not talking about a magic pill that makes your troubles go away. Uh, the, the, the charismatic world uses praise for God in this way, uses the name of Jesus this way. How many of you have heard of the movement Name It and Claim It? This is not a text teaching Name It and Claim It. It is teaching us how to respond to the Lord in adversity. It's teaching us that God is the only constant in our life. That's one of the things we need to get a hold of. The Lord himself is the only thing in our life and the only one in our life that never changes. How many of you know that our church tonight has changed over the last three or four years? How many of you know that our families have changed? How many of you know that you have changed? We change. I pray we change. I want to change spiritually. I'm changing physically whether I like it or not. That's an, uh, You can't help that. The fact of the matter is, is that everything in our world is affected by the sin curse except the Lord. And if we're going to praise God and we're going to have an attitude that says, and what praise is, is an attitude towards someone that they are worthy of commendation and of exaltation. When we praise, I think we understand praise a little better when it relates to another human being. When a child uh, uh, has godly character and they, uh, they are consistently telling the truth, we might praise them and say, I commend you for being so consistently honest. You've been truthful. And even when it's been hard to be truthful, we would praise them for their character. You thank folks for their conduct, but you praise them over their character. And I believe that's the same with our Lord. Therefore, the praise of God and the thanksgiving of God can and should always be in our mouth because He is always good. But in this text, we're going to see, as I said, three things, beginning with the establishment of praise. Throughout the end of this text, it becomes a theme in this story that these people are praising and rejoicing before the Lord. You find it there. It begins in verse 19 when the Bible says, "...and the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites." stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud 
voice on high. Praising God is using the tongue to declare the goodness of God. One of the simplest definitions I could give of praise. Using our tongue to declare the goodness of God. And I believe that, I'll just be honest with you, I think there's a deficiency of genuine praise on our part. One of the greatest ways to praise God is to give the gospel. You cannot give the gospel of Jesus Christ without praising God. You cannot give the gospel without speaking of the fact that God is truly and genuinely a loving and merciful God. Every time you tell someone that God sent his son into the world to die for our sins and you know that's true and you give that truth and you explain to them he did that because he's not willing that we should perish. He wants men to be saved. Do you realize that's a form of praise? We are declaring the goodness of God in giving the gospel, declaring the goodness of God in his dealings in our life. I believe in Jeremiah said in Lamentations that uh, it is of the Lord's mercies that he was not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know what he was doing? He's praising God. God is good. I believe this. Our young people, they need to hear us praising God. I've been around men in the ministry, and it's a constant bemoaning of the rigors of ministry. Ministry is challenging, but that's what ministry is. And if the constant uh, bemoaning, may I say this, if we're constantly as adults saying, Oh, the Christian life is so challenging. It is. I don't think we should give the idea that it's not. That's dishonest. But if we're saying it is challenging, but I would not want it any differently because in the challenges, I see the faithfulness of God. I believe what we need to do in each and everything we do is praise the Lord. But there's got to be an establishment of that in our lives. And I see some circumstances here that establish the people of God to get them in a mindset and a heart set, I guess if you would, of praising the Lord. And what it starts with is this prophecy. This is what we said last week. In answer to their prayer, they're surrounded by an enemy that they are no match for, just like we saw this morning with Hezekiah. And what they do is they turn to the Lord. Verse 12, they say, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. So here's a people that have looked to God and said, Lord, we don't have strength to withstand this force. Would you please help us? God's answer was to send a preacher. That's really what prophesying is. Someone who proclaims either foretells or foretells the word of God. And the, the spirit of God came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. That's verse 14. And then he says, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou king of Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you. Here's what I want to say. Any legitimate praise is going to be based on the word of God. They're going to praise God after they hear his word. May I say, and I, I want to take just a minute to expose the error of false forms of worship today that, is a, that there are forms of worship that are emotionally driven, emotionally charged, based upon people's emotions rather than the word of God. And so much of what is called praise and worship today is a self-expression. Self-expression. May I say this? Let the world self-express, but that's not our job. This here was based on God's word. God tells Jehaziel to say some things. They're going to praise God but not until God has communicated some promises and given them some precepts. That's what's going to happen. God moves upon Jehaziel. Jehaziel says, Thus saith the Lord, 
our praise should be in direct response to what God has said. And when we see that, may I say that if praise and worship is simply about stirring people's emotions to feel warm fuzzies about the Lord, that's not Bible worship. That's not Bible praise because then what happens, we become fleshly and carnal in our activities to stir an emotional feeling. May I say, I'm not telling you emotions are disconnected from this. They're not. How many of you understand this? There are different components to a train. You've probably heard this illustration. You have different components to a train. You have an engine, you have cargo cars, and you have a caboose. Now, if you've got the engine at the rear, and I understand you can push a train, you can, and you have a caboose at the front, and you have the cars in the middle, that seems a little out of order, doesn't it? When it comes to our emotions, there may be emotions involved in praising the Lord. But if we say, I will not praise the Lord until I feel like it, you know what a lot of the praise and worship services today are about? Getting people to feel like praising God. That's not biblical praise and that's not biblical worship. Biblical praise and worship is what we learn about God from His Word. That's why Amazing Grace is such a powerful song. John Newton does express in that the, the testimony he had, but his, his, his song is based on Bible truth. God's grace is amazing. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And that song has had some eternal value because it's based on the principles and the precepts of God's word. Uh, we were saying this morning, whosoever surely meaneth me. That's directly out of Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. That's directly out of John chapter 3, verse 16. But saying nice flattering terms about God over and over and over in a fleshly manner that stirs people's emotions and, and flesh is not praise. And here the first thing that established praise was the Word of God. It was based upon the Word of God through this prophet that God raised up, Jehaziel, and if you look at this, what happens is there's revelation from God. God gives his mind to his people. By the way, that is the most profound answer to prayer we get. We pray and God speaks to us in response to our prayer. I believe as we pray, we ought to pay attention in our Bible reading and in our meditating on God's word in the hours and days to follow as to how God is responding to the requests we've made. How many of you in the last week have prayed about your own spiritual condition? You've communicated with God about things you perceive in your life that are not going the way you believe He wants them to go. It burdens you that you're not where you should be and you've spoken to the Lord about your own spiritual state. Then we should pay attention to how He is answering that. And I'll tell you, every time He's going to answer through His Word. I pray that you come to church and are hearing messages that are answering your prayers that God is giving to your pastor what you need, unbeknownst to me, according to his own mind and will, in answer to your prayer, that should generate some praise. When you open your Bible and you've been praying about something and God uses Scripture to give light, revelation, that ought to tell us we have a God who cares about us. Casting all you care upon him, he careth for you. And so then, uh, we find that the establishment of praise begins, it begins... Nobody rejoiced until after God spoke. That's what I want you to see. It began with God speaking to them in response to their prayer. So we see in verse 15 that Jehaziel says, And he said, And hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Now there are some comforting words from the Lord. He says, 
Number one, I'll give you some instruction. I do not want you afraid. I want you to be of good courage. Same thing that Hezekiah was told, verse 16. Now he's going to give him some very clear instruction. Tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. And ye shall find them at the end of the brook, before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Now, God has just given them some very clear instruction and some clear promises. He has said, I don't want you to be afraid. I'm with you. I'm going to give you the victory. Now they're going to have to decide how they're going to respond to that. They can either say, but this is huge. What if we misunderstood? We think we just heard from God, but what if we misunderstood? What if he's not going to go with us? What if the enemy does win? What if, when you hear the two words, what if, when God has spoken, that's a problem. We need to know that. When God has spoken clearly and we're still saying what if, and I'm speaking from experience, there's times that the Spirit of God convicts me, reproves me, says, you are still saying what if when I already told you the answer. I've already given you some very clear promises in my word, and you're still acting as though you don't know what I've said. Praise is established when God has spoken clearly, and we take him at his word. I want to see that just like any other aspect of our Christian life, just like Thanksgiving, just like prayer petitions, it is on faith. I'm going to ask you this question. As they come out of verse 17, God has promised them the battle is not yours, it's mine. Go tomorrow, face them, and I will give you the victory. Don't even be afraid of them. At this point, what evidence do they have that they're going to win over the enemy? The enemy is bigger. There's more of them. They have no strength to fight them. What evidence do they have to say, but we're going to win? All they have is God's word. What evidence do we have as Christians that when it's all said and done, we're going to win? The headlines? Our personal life experiences? Or the Word of God? There are days it feels and looks like we're losing. And so you know what happens? We get dismayed and we stop praising the Lord. We, we get discouraged and we quit speaking of the goodness of God. You know what? It is, it is normal and it should be so that when we have great success, when we see people getting saved, we see people, we see the direct fruits of our labors, you see a church packed with people, you see your job going forward, more security in your job, maybe a pay raise, of course thank the Lord for that, and of course praise God for his goodness. But I mean, you know, the only time many, many say God is good is, as we said at the beginning of this message, when something goes in our favor from an apparent standpoint meaning we can see something that is beneficial to us in tangible terms. I don't think it would seem normal to say, oh, Lord, thank you for attendance being down at church, but how many of us know God is just as good when attendance is down as when it's up? So praise is not based upon... These people are pinned in, they are surrounded by their enemies, and yet God has given them a promise. He's told them, I'm going to give you victory. And so then... The response is found here, verse 18. So we've seen revelation. We're talking about the establishment of praise. God revealed his mind through his word by, by the prophet. Then we see the reception of that in verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites uh, and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel with a loud voice 
on high. I'll just once again want to point out something biblical. I can only think of in my mind one illustration as far as a story and account goes where someone uh, was was what we would call dancing about. The Bible talks about dancing. It doesn't mean sensual dancing like our culture loves. It means someone leaping and kicking up their heels, that kind of thing. Uh, I can think of a couple of accounts in the scripture where someone did that. I think of David when he brought the Ark of the Covenant in and he was singing and dancing. He was excited. Uh, and that's fine. That's wonderful. That's good. We find that when the man that had been lame from his mother's womb, he was walking and leaping and praising God. I believe there's a time for doing that. Amen? But nine times out of ten in the Bible, when there is praise for the Lord, and even in those accounts, even in those accounts where someone was outwardly excited, it was based on a reverence and fear of God. Much of what we have, and I don't want the entirety of this message or even the bulk of this message to be in exposing the error, but establishing what we're supposed to be. But do not mistake flattery of God for praise. Do not, expa- uh, do not mistake or, or confuse um, talented performance for praise of God. Praise of God is an attitude of reverence in the heart for the Lord expressed with our mouth and expressed with our actions. And the first thing that takes place is there's a reception of God's word. You know what Joshua did? He took God at his word. When he hears what God says through the prophet, there's no doubt in his mind he has affirmatively heard from God. God has promised we're going to give you the victory. And the only way he knows to respond is to, to bow his head in honor of such a God that would be mindful of his people, showing reverence toward him. So I find three things here in this text that established these people, readied them, laid a foundation for praise, and that is the revelation of God's word, both in promises and precepts, telling them this is what I'm going to do and this is what I want you to do. Then the reception of that and then reverence in the heart. Praise for God is rooted in a reverential heart, meaning when I have an attitude of tremendous reverence for God for how great and good he truly is. You know, I may have a fearful respect for something that I don't care for, but reverence has to do with an acknowledgement of God's greatness and His goodness. And so this is what praise is rooted in, a confidence in the revealed Word of God, which you and I hold in our hand, the reception of that into our hearts, taking it as the absolute truth because it is, and a a reverential attitude in our heart as a response to God's promises to us. Do we even realize how many... I'm certain we don't. How many promises we have... In the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made unto us wisdom and sanctification and righteousness and honor. Christ has made all these things unto us. read it this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We have have all the riches of God in Christ Jesus. That's promised to us. And oh, how much more it would be appropriate for us to praise the Lord for what he has done for us and who he is to us because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through the establishment of praise, through the revelation of God's word, the reception of the revealed truth, and a reverence in the heart toward the Lord. Number two, verses 19 through 21, we find the expression, the expression of praise. So in verse 19, after there has been a reception of the revealed word of God, there's a reverential attitude on Jehoshaphat's part. The Levites and the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Let me just say this. I've, I've said a few things tonight, and I said something along these lines a couple weeks ago, but I want to say this again. I do seek to expose the fallacy and the error of simulated worship. May I say this? 
when you sing songs that talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, but you don't believe those songs or the lyrics of those songs in your heart, that's vain worship. You can stand right here in this building and sing just as I am, but if you don't mean just as I am, it's vain worship. Going to the mechanics of a singing service, whether it's hymns or not. So I, I believe on its face, CCM music, contemporary Christian music, and uh, the 99% of Southern gospel music is about making money. You can check me on that and you can do your own research and you'll find it's true. It's about performance-driven, emotionally-driven marketing. But may I say this, you can market him singing as well. You can. You and I can go through the mechanics and think, well, because we're singing conservative hymns, well, that means we're... If you are, because that's the persuasion of your heart, meaning if you can sing along with the author that wrote that song by conviction that the word of God that is revealed in that song is truth... That is so, but if I'm simply going through the mechanics of standing in a church service, when my heart is fired from the Lord, that's not worship. And so then the establishment of praise, we saw revelation, reception, reverence. But then the expression of praise, verse 19, the Levites we just read, verse 20, and they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God. So shall ye be established, believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. Why are they going forth into the wilderness of Tekoa? What motivated them to do this? God told them to. Now, there's a very simple point here, but I don't want us to miss it. There are many today who cannot praise the Lord because they're not obeying the Lord. You cannot break away from the fact that the praise that's going to take place, it's already taken place by the Levites and the Korahites and the Kohathites, but that's a small, that would be like the those in full-time ministry. They're praising the Lord, but the whole congregation is going to hear it shortly. But may I say this, you know what will set you and I up for praising the Lord and seeing the goodness of God where we can legitimately, genuinely say God is truly good? It's obedience. You never know the goodness of God until you yield to His will for your life and obey Him. And praise is the outflow of an obedient life. Praise for God is the outflow of an obedient life. It comes from the lips of obedient people. Uh, The great struggle in the heart of man has to do with his will, not so much his intellect as his will. And when the praise of God is not in our lives, it's likely we've gotten out of God's will for our lives. These people are going to praise the Lord but the praise of God would come from being in the center of his will. God had revealed what he wanted them to do. He said, tomorrow, go forth. And what does the Bible say? Early in the morning. You know what that tells me? They did not waste time getting after what God told them to do. They didn't say, well, let's think about this. We know what God told us to do. Let's think about this. No, God said, tomorrow, go out against them. So they got up early and did immediately what God told them to do. And you cannot disconnect genuine praise from sincere obedience. This is why, again, I find fault with so much of what is called praise today. There is evident apparent disobedience in the lives of many who claim to be praising God. And that creates a conflict. That creates a confusion. Here, praise came out of an obedient life. So, we find, first of all, the focus of their praise as we look at the expression of it, the focus of it, verse 19. Again, the Levites, the children of Israel, the children of the Kohathites, stood up to praise who? The Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Meaning, the effect of their praise was to draw attention to whom? The Lord God. Let me ask you this. 
If I write the name Shalin, okay, I write the name Shalin up on a board up here, and I write it so extravagantly that you can barely read it, but I am doing, I mean, extravagant artwork writing her name. And deep in my heart, I think, I'm going to write her name so you can know what a good artist I am. And I'm going to use her name to reveal how good of an artist I am. And I'm up there, and I take 30 minutes to draw the S. And I take 30 minutes to draw the H. And everybody's going, ooh, what an artist he is. And I finally write her name out. And somebody says, what does it say? Oh, it says Shaylin. Oh, is she here? Oh, yeah, Shaylin. Neat, but what an artist. You tracking with me? If we praise in such a way that we are drawing attention to ourselves using the name of God, and I believe God has to direct in this, obviously God uses us. He wants us to be skillful. He wants us to use the talents he's given us. But I think you understand what I'm saying. We can use praise as a means of a platform to exalt ourselves. That's not what the Levites did. That's not what the Kohathites did. They stood up and with a loud voice on high, they turned the attention of people of the people of God to God. They, true praise turns attention to God. What true praise does is tr- true praise is rooted in truth. It gives an account of who God is from his word and takes account of what God has done from uh, in our lives in, in accordance with his word, records that and says, this is the goodness of God. Look what God has done. And it gives praise to him. The focus of praise is on the Lord, not on those who are offering the praise to the Lord. All right, so the focus of praise, the faith in their praise. The Bible says, and we've seen this throughout, that Jehoshaphat told them, Believe in the Lord your God, so shall be established, verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Two aspects of this matter of praise is they, they are focusing the attention on the Lord and praising the what? I love that term, the beauty of holiness. There is no God like our God. There is no Lord like our Lord. Holiness has to do with what separates him from us, what separates him from everyone else that calls himself a God. He is the Lord and he alone. And they praise the beauty of holiness is not a, dis, a, a despicable thing. It's a beautiful thing. And they praise the beauty of holiness and say the mercy of the Lord, uh, his mercy endureth forever. So my point in almost saying this, in dealing with his holiness and his mercy, they're not saying praise the Lord for all the material blessings. We can do that. That's fine. The praise is based on his character. He's holy and he's merciful. How long will he be holy? Forever. And how long will he be merciful? Forever. And so that, they're saying, his unchanging character is the reason we're praising God. The focus of their praise, the faith, they're doing this while the enemy, and we've pointed this out, the enemy is still there. The enemy is not gone. The battle hasn't been fought. The victory hasn't been won. But they're saying, God is, shouldn't you wait until after the battle's won, then say, God is merciful and his holiness is beautiful? No, that was true before the victory was won. And in fact, if we're going to have the victory, we must get to the point where we have absolute confidence in the character of God, no matter what our circumstances are. And I believe that's the heart of this message tonight, that genuine praise says God is good no matter what. 
The Lord is unchanged. He's holy. He's merciful. And His holiness is a beautiful uh, uh, thing to behold. His mercy is extended toward us, and that's unchanged. And when you and I can say, nothing is going to cause me to think that God has done me wrong. Please don't miss this, because I think this is what the Lord wants driven home tonight. You may be sitting here tonight and say, well, I don't think the Lord's treating me well then you need tonight before this message is over to get right with the Lord because God is still good tonight. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter what is discouraging you, no matter what you've asked me. You say, well, I've asked the Lord to answer a prayer and He's not doing it. Listen here tonight. You get a bad attitude on God and you're going to get into some serious sin. The Bible says that we're to beware lest any root of bitterness spring up and thereby many be defiled. You know, what will rob you of praise toward the Lord is bitterness. God isn't good because of this in my life. Could not these people have been saying, wait a minute, we're the the children of of God. David was our forefather. God promised us some things to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And look how God's treating us. We're surrounded by our enemies. They could have said with spite in their hearts, Lord, these people that you wouldn't let us destroy are come to get us. And they could have, they did say that to him, but not with spite. They said that to him with, Lord, this was your decision, and so we trust it was right, but now we've got to put this in your hands. You wouldn't let us destroy them when we come out of Egypt, so now they're a problem. So obviously, this is an opportunity for us to trust you. And so the point here tonight is they chose to trust God even when their circumstances did not lend to that, and that's where the praise for God came from, the confidence that God is righteous no matter what it looks like around us. Praise will cease when we've lost our conviction concerning the goodness of God. So the focus of their praise was on the Lord, the faith in their praise, that absolute confidence in the character of God. Then the formation of their praise, you realize there was some instruction given. The Bible says, verse 21, And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord. For his mercy endureth forever. May I say this? Our praise does need instructed. Part of what's going on tonight is God through his word teaching us how to praise him. If we leave praise up to our impulses and emotions, it will swiftly go from praise to performance. And it will swiftly cease to be what it ought to be. It was instructed through the channels of authority that God had given. May I say this? We are intentional around here about the songs we sing. And I understand praise is not limited to church. It ought to be in our lives and our lips every day. But we're very intentional about guarding against certain songs that would misrepresent truths in the Bible. We're intentional about the kind of music we put with those songs. We don't want to send a confusing message. We don't want to send a message that says, gyrate your body in a sinful fashion while singing about the holiness of God. That is confusing. Amen? So there's intention. We find that here. There was some intention about how to praise the Lord. There was intention about the doctrine of that praise. When we praise the Lord, we're going to focus on His holiness. We're going to focus on His mercy. We're going to focus our praise on Him. So there was instruction concerning the praise. There was intention in that praise and there was integrity because as I said before, this praise came out of lives that were being obedient to God. They were not saying, God is good but will not obey Him. How can you sing about the goodness of God and refuse to do what he says? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. But I'm not going to be a called according to his purpose. He might mess my life up. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing more miserable. And I'm going to preach for just a minute on how we sing in church. Can you bear with me for a minute? 
Nothing more miserable than singing a song that you don't believe. There's nothing more miserable than singing I surrender all and thinking I'm not going to surrender all. All you're doing is standing there singing something you know you don't mean. Amen? God doesn't want that. He'd rather you close your book, walk out of church, and be honest than stand there and sing something you don't mean. You know what? These people, their praise came from integrity. They could say God is good and His mercy endures forever and we trust His holiness. They could say that with integrity because they were obeying Him. There's nothing more joyful than opening a book and finding a song that is the very expression that if you knew how to write the kind of words these people did, it's what you'd say. Amen? Glory to His name. I'll tell you what. The old hymns come alive when you have the heart of some of the folks that wrote them and you can start singing, man, that's wonderful. He, we sing it now. He is able to deliver thee. That's right in the Bible over and over. He is able, he is able, he is able, he is able. And when you've seen God do that in your life and you're centered in his will, you can sing with a heart of integrity. Praise is not rooted in integrity is not praise. It's hypocrisy. So tonight, if we want to truly praise God, we must do so and can do so and should do so out of obedient lives. The formation of praise, there was instruction given, intention given, there was a purpose and intention to, with their mouths, magnify the character of God, and then there was integrity. They were doing so while doing exactly what the Lord said they should do, and living lives of obedience. And then finally, the effectiveness of their praise. Look at verse 22. This verse almost sums it up. And when, I circled that in my Bible, the word when, and when they began to sing and to praise the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. We've read all the way down to verse 30. What happens is there was a great spoil in the battle. I want to focus on verse 22, and then again on verse 30 what it says, because everything in between is just the fruit of the battle and the victory that God gave them. Verse 30, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. We see some effectiveness of praise, and here's why. Don't misunderstand. As I said at the beginning of this message, we're not preaching just say some magic words nice about God, and all of a sudden God will change your circumstances. No, then ultimately what we're trying to do is use praise as a tool to manipulate God, and that's not what we're talking about. But how many of you know this? That faith is manifest by works. They believed truly that God was good. They believed that God could be trusted They believed that God was holy and therefore when he gave instruction he could be trusted implicitly. They acted on that and out of that they said we can praise God before he's done what he promised because he's holy we know he'll keep his promise and when their faith was expressed in action meaning when their faith was genuine God blessed it. When you and I can praise God before he does what we've asked him before he does can you and I not praise God tonight? Because of the fact we're going to get a glorified body. Can we not praise God for the fact that he is so good that he has prepared for us an eternity with him? We can do that in advance. Those promises about our eternity ought to stir our soul to say, isn't God wonderful? But we might think, well, I'll praise him once I see that that's true. We already know it's true. We are to praise God before the fact as we would after the fact. How? By faith. And when their faith became action, meaning we know it was a sincere faith, when they began to sing, when they began to praise, God moved. When they expressed to God, we trust you. 
And God moved on their behalf. It is faith that moves God on our behalf. When we say we trust you enough to know you're good, we trust you enough to have absolute confidence that you cannot do anything but keep your promises. And we trust you so much that we will verbally, with a loud voice, let others know how good you are. Even we don't have the physical evidence. We'll see God honor that kind of faith. Genuine praise is not rooted in feelings. Genuine praise is rooted in faith. We take God at his word. Therefore, we can praise him all the time. Can we not? When was the last time someone heard about the character of God from us? I could ask myself. My job is to preach about this. That's my job. And with all my heart, I love doing it. But I would ask myself, if I were thinking through this, when was the last time someone outside of the church setting, just when I'm out in the public and the community, heard about the goodness of God from my mouth? I'm going to tell you something. The world does enough to make God look bad. It is your job and mine to make sure they know the truth. And God is good. That's what praise is. You and I, with a sincere heart of obedience and trust, saying, He truly is good, and I can testify because I'm obeying Him. You know what? I can say I'm doing what God tells me, and it's working together for good. Amen? And it will ultimately work together for good. Tonight, are we a people that are praising God, truly, genuinely? We open these songs that sing about the character of God. Is that our conviction? Do we believe holy, holy, holy? And do we believe I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever? God is good tonight. doesn't matter what's going on around us. God is good tonight. And I believe this. When we trust him enough to declare that goodness, We might see a difference in how he'll move on our behalf when he can see we have genuine faith. Now, he knows that already, but we express genuine faith when we act by faith on his promises. Mm 